Father, we are indeed grateful that we can come before you singing, that we can rejoice, that we can lift up our voices. Lord, today that's exactly what we do. We give you praise. We give you thanks. We rejoice because you live. We live. Because your son gave his life for us, we have life. And we thank you and we praise you for that. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So the, uh, the British newspaper, uh, National Observer, on the 8th of June in 1891 had a little editorial uh, and it, which stated, Sir, it has been wittily remarked that there are three kinds of falsehood. The first is a fib. The second is a downright lie. And the third and most aggravated is statistics. Uh, this is a gentler way of saying the cruder phrase that Mark Twain popularized about lies and statistics. T.X. Uh, Huxley, he added, he says, it's, it's really not statistics, it's expert witnesses. Uh, but we get the point. There are categories of lies and liars. But uh, the thing that interested me about this quote was, what's a fib? And I, I thought about that. It turns out it comes from the old English word fibble. <laughs> yeah, that's actual, was a, was a word fibble, from which we get our word fable. It comes down to us as a fable. And a fable is a, it's a fictitious story. It's fabricated. So in that sense, it does bear some resemblance to the next phrase that he uses, downright lies. Uh, in that, there is something uh, false about it. So there, you know, there's something related there. However, uh, Fib's similarity with uh, lie ends really quite abruptly there. Uh, the Old English root for both these words are entirely different. The root for the word uh, liar is uh, layere, uh, and what that is, it means someone who knowingly utters falsehoods, false witness, or hypocrite. And uh, this term is uh, directly parallel with the term that we find in Ephesians 4 and 25, where it says, therefore having put away falsehood. And that term falsehood there means the intentional, conscious use of falsehood to deceive, to gain advantage. So in a general sense, uh, the term lie, along with its synonyms, have this notion of a deliberate pretense. In fact, uh, in the old uh, in Greek, it has the notion of a stage performance. And so it's in that sense, if you've ever wondered, if you've ever been curious about the church's suspicion of the theater, it stems back to the early church. Because Christians, the early Christians, absolutely could not see how someone could make a living pretending to be someone that they were not, expressing emotions that they did not have, 
and saying words that were not theirs. And, and so uh, this has uh, continued through, through the years. And, and it, this is also consistent with the Hebrew usage of the term. The word in our text today, Exodus twenty sixteen, has the same meaning. To use falsehood and deception typically for one's own interest. So you have uh, this situation where as we go along, you're going to see that I draw, it's not a bright boundary, but I do make a difference between a fib and a lie. Now, now I know that some will say, well, a fib is a lie and a lie is a, a fib, and I compassionately hold a different uh, opinion, which I do hope to explain, and I'm not tickling ears. I mean, we're all sinners in need of salvation. We've all broken the law of God, and only in God's love and hesed, His loyal loving kindness, do we have any hope at all. Yet my goal today, at least in part, is also to eliminate, hopefully for some, to mitigate for others, unnecessary suffering caused by guilt and shame in that we call a sin that which is not a sin, in my opinion. Uh, We've got enough sin to go around. So let's talk about fibs and lies. Marcus Fabius Quintilian, uh, who lived around the time of Christ, he said, a liar should have a good memory. Um, this was echoed many, many years later by uh, Sir Walter Scott, one of my favorite quotes of all time. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. And so you have this notion here of the, the reason you have to have a good memory is because you have to recall that which you have uh, said and it becomes a very tangled uh, web that we're in when we are practicing deceit. Now, I'm going to tell you something uh, that is going to sound controversial to some of you. It's going to sound politically motivated to others. It is not. Uh, the point is biblically based, but it is a fascinating truth that if you don't know now, uh, you will. I'm, I'm about to issue a profundity in your hearing Members of both houses, that is our senators and representatives, uh, can and do hold people accountable to lying to Congress and other types of similar crimes. However, what you may not know is that the member, the, the members, senators and representatives themselves are able to lie at will. They are immune from prosecution, from knowingly and willfully lying to the public. Article 1, Section 6 of the United States Constitution reads, For any speech or debate in either house shall not be questioned in any other place. Now, originally that made sense. Okay, So you have to understand, why in the world would the writers of the Constitution put such nonsense into such a document. Well, it wasn't nonsense then. Because 
everybody, when they would go to Washington so that they would collect, or Philadelphia, wherever they went when we were, you know, settling in, to go and vote, if some local magistrate decided, I don't want that person to go and vote, they would simply arrest them. They would detain them on their way. You know, they're in horse and buggy. They didn't get on a plane. They didn't get in a car. It was easy to stop people on the road. So they said, you know what? We want people to be able to get here. And if somebody has a complaint about something that they said, we don't want them to be held up. So that's what we're going to put into the law. But leave it to us over time to create an entire class of people who can lie to your face with the legal approval of the government. The Supreme Court interpreted Article 1, Section 6 to mean that members of Congress are free from concern about anything they say in the course of their legislative duties that would otherwise implicate them in lawsuits. And guess what? In 1972, the Supreme Court extended that protection to their minions, meaning congressional aides. So now you have senators and representatives and congressional aides can all lie with impunity. Now, I mean no disrespect by this. That's not where I'm going. It is, in fact, true. Look it up. The article, what's disturbing even more than that to me, is that the article extends to their reports, their committees, their hearings, even to their comments on leaked classified documents. I mean, have you ever wondered why they don't get in trouble? Article 1, Section 6. That is why. That's the reason. They're protected. And, you know, they should get into trouble because our system of justice is almost entirely built on the fact that we are a nation of truth-tellers. Now, I'm not saying, so don't hear again what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that all senators and representatives and aides lie. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, because they also come into office with moral standards. But some do not. And uh, some are willing to take advantage of this. So I'm not making an accusation. I'm stating what the law is. So, I mean, this is serious business. Exodus 20.16 says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, I realize it's a specific context, but it has this notion behind it of how are we to view things that are not true, that are told uh, to us. So, when we go back to one of my earlier comments about uh, fibs or, or lies, uh, What's in view in 2016 is, in fact, a lie. And I'm going to talk about that more. And I know that some of you will say, John, that's a, a distinction without a difference. You're quibbling. You're rationalizing. You're, you're explaining away. Um, you know, I mean, given that I held that view for half my Christian life, I, I don't think so. I, I just uh, i am compassionate to that view, yet I, don't, I just simply don't hold it anymore. And I, and I don't believe that I'm quibbling and or rationalizing or explaining away. I'm arguing that culturally, culturally, we have made into lies things that as biblically defined are not lies. Let me, uh, and, and, and the problem with that is, is for those of us 
who have a tender conscience about such things, we suffer unneedless shame and unneedless or and, and needless uh, guilt. So, for example, last week we celebrated Pi Day, right? It was even announced, I think, the end of the breaking bread, Pi Day, and it wasn't pecan and it wasn't peach. It was, in fact, March the fourteenth. So, which is also, oh, by the way, Einstein's birthday. So, hello. You just, you know, we have a, we have to remember that day. Three point one four. Yet any mathematician will tell you that pi is not three point one four. It is not. Absolutely not. In fact, pi is a what's known as an irrational number. Can I get an amen? Amen. That is, its exact composition is an inherently unknowable. Well, you say, well, John, that's not a good example. I mean, we all know what you mean by pi. Yes, you do. And that's actually my point, which I hope will become clear. When somebody says pi is 3.14, they are not trying to deceive you. They are not trying to gain an advantage over you. They are not trying to put you in a position that will lead you to harm. It's simply a convention. It's a social agreement. It's a common understanding. Now, statistically, so now I'm in the third element of this guy's 1891 editorial. 96% of Americans today admit to lying at least once a week. Is that striking to you? Some researchers say that lying is an unavoidable part of human nature. So if we're all guilty, if I'm guilty of something, I want to know what I'm guilty of. So we have to look into this and say, okay, what then constitutes a lie? Now, we've been told for years, and I've been told my entire Christian life, and I I read this all this week, and I just simply have a different opinion, that any statement which does not correspond to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but a truth, is a lie. Now, I almost agree with that, but I don't. Because by that definition, pi is a lie. And I, and I just go, you know, that's just silliness to me. And here's where this goes with the lies that we believe are lies that are really not. I, I prefer to call them conventions or social understandings or common practice, fibs if they're really big. But it's, it's these social lies. And, and yes, I do see a huge difference. I'm going to point it out right here, right now. Christian singer Matthew West wrote a song, which, which, by the way, I do enjoy and I really appreciate the sentiment. But technically, I believe it's wrong. And that is this. And the, the words are, are quite remarkable. Truth be told. Some of you, I say that and you, you may, the, the words may come to your mind immediately. Here's how it begins. Lie number one. You're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them never better. Lie number two, everybody's life is perfect except for yours. 
So keep your messes and your wounds and your secrets safe with you behind closed doors. Truth be told, the truth is rarely told. Now I say I'm fine, yeah I'm fine, oh I'm fine, hey I'm fine, but I'm not. I'm broken. And when it's out of control, I say it's under control, but it's not. And you know it. Now I see in these lyrics this kind of uh, amalgamation that we've created between real lies and things that are not lies. And, and, that, is, and that is this. There, there is a, in, this, in these lyrics and in most of our minds, we've created a moral equivalence between telling what the editorial uh, mentioned, a downright lie, which is said other ways by other people, and a, a fib. And that is that everybody, okay, that they're the same. They're not. There are lies in this that he, he brings out. In fact, uh, it is a lie that everybody's life is perfect except for yours. There's a lot of research about how social media is causing major depressive disorders in particularly younger people, but people in general. Because they look at these social media platforms and everything that gets posted on there is some, oh yeah, well we're here and we're doing this and this is all wonderful and that's all wonderful and everything is airbrushed. Nobody even knows what airbrushed means anymore. It's all photoshopped, right? So everything that's being presented, not everything, obviously, but the, the majority of stuff that's being presented is trying to produce a narrative about their life that will cause you to want to be with them or them or like them. And the thing is, is we all know that's not the case. And the thing is, that, and in fact, the second one that he gives, it is in fact a lie that everyone's uh, life is um, perfect. And you, you're supposed to have it all together. Everyone's life is perfect. Those are lies. However, I argue that it is a social convention like pie to tell people you're fine. Now, you, now you, you need to hear me out on this for real, okay? Uh, because I trust that you don't tell everyone or all people that you're fine when you're not. I mean, hopefully you have someone to talk to. You need someone to talk to. You need for someone when they ask, how are you doing? You can actually tell them. But that circle is small for most people. I mean, our sharing, whether we're fine or not, is based on levels of trust. Matters of the heart are not easily exposed or laid bare to others, nor should they. Yet should, in the interest of truth, instead of saying, hey, I'm fine, never better, or, you know, uh, better than I deserve, or whatever, whatever, what people come up with all kinds of these little, little statements. Would it be better for me to say, listen, I don't trust you enough 
to tell you what's going on in my life. In fact, you have not earned that place, and truth be told, you never will. (laughs) Is that what we need to say? I I really hope not, and I I don't think so. Is that speaking the truth in love? I, I do not think so. People who do that, oh, by the way, will find themselves with very few friends. So, yes, we have all lied. But do we lie weekly, as the research indicates, 96% of us in the Exodus 2016 sense? No. No, we don't. Michigan State University conducted a study entitled The Prevalence of Lying in America. That's one of the studies, and just one. Uh, You can look at study after study after study, which will say that 96%... Uh, people in America will say that they lie at least once a week. However, and this is important, it is important to understand that when you look at the definition of lying that's closer to how the Bible defines it, that is the intentional conscious, conscious use, conscious, deliberate, express, intentional, you get the point, use of falsehood to deceive, right? The study discovered that more than half of those kinds of lies were told by only 5.3% of the population. In other words, a lot of the things that we consider lies are not lies as biblically defined. That's a very small, and you know when you do it. It's not a mystery. It's not a matter of saying I'm fine when you're not fine. It's a matter of lying to someone deceitfully in order to mislead, in order to gain an advantage over them. And that, for that, we do need to confess, and we need to repent And we need to turn to Jesus. But I argue that we lie a whole lot less than Satan accuses us of. Again, don't hear what what I'm not saying, okay? I am saying we are broken. We are sinners. We are in need of a Savior. But my goodness, we put so much on ourselves that Jesus Christ does not put on ourselves. You see this amazing grace. It's about grace. It's also about the burden that Jesus puts on us. And we still want to work our way to heaven. And so we make it more difficult than it needs to be. So biblically speaking, there are, there are three essential elements to a lie. First, it has to communicate some kind of content. Well, I mean, duh, right? It has to communicate something. In Exodus 20, God was specifically talking about people providing testimony. They had to communicate. So whether it was verbal or nonverbal, it doesn't have to be uh, verbal in order to communicate a lie. Which way did they go? And they went that way, right? So that is a lie. Are, are, are you, it has to communicate some kind of uh, content. The dog crossed the street. Or I ate at McDonald's and so forth. But second, and more importantly, a lie has to have the intent to deceive or mislead. 
It's the kind of lying that the Bible is talking about. And this is straight through. That's why at the very beginning, I went to Ephesians, which is reflective of the same type of thing that we find here in Exodus. That's the kind of lying the Bible is talking about. And essentially, the best way to understand a lie, if you want to understand in a, a, a use a whole different uh, arena to understand what a lie is, think of the synonym for lie in Greek is hypocrite. And hypocrite is the word for actor. That's what it is. So when you talk about hypocrites in ancient Greece, you were talking about actors. Uh, and so that's what it was. So essentially, when the Bible talks about lies, you're talking about a scripted play. You're talking about you are playing a deliberate part in order to direct a particular outcome. That's what's happening. You're being, that's manipulative, that is deceitful, it is dishonest. And it's, it's, it's so I, 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 I want to make a separation between those two. Even with the full understanding that sin is sin, they're not the same thing. That's why Quintilian said that a liar should have a good memory. Now third, the liar must believe that what they're communicating is in fact not true. So you have to have all of those things together. And I mean, I mean, and it may sound weird. I, I can't go into discussion on that right now because I want to I talk about something else with those three in mind. But, uh, you know, I'm going to say something that might blow your mind. A lie doesn't even have to be false in order to be a lie. Um, it only has to give deceitful information. What, where can I go to find that? I mean, in, very nearly before Abraham got started, Abraham got ended. I mean, he, he took Sarai when she was Sarai, took her down to Egypt, ran across Pharaoh, and so what did, what did Abraham do? He said, okay, Sarai, I'm going to tell him, you tell him, you're my sister. And then that way they won't kill me to get to you, okay? So they showered Abraham with gifts. I mean, they gave him all kinds of gifts and things. Uh, why? Because they wanted his permission to marry her. So God sent a plague, right? He sent a plague and Pharaoh restored uh, and re uh, Sarai to, to Abraham. So you'd think he would have learned his lesson. Don't do that. But no, he immigrated to the southern region of Gerar. And uh, there he ran into a king, king Abimelech and did the same thing. The same thing. And then Abimelech, right? They're barren. They got not, nobody in the lands having any babies. Why not? Well, it's because of this Abraham and Sarah by then. And the text reads, and I get this. This is really interesting to, to look at this. Abimelech gave Abraham a thousand pieces of silver. And it was in order to do something, it was to reprove Sarah by, quote, the covering of the eyes. In other words, what he was saying was, 
You're a married woman, yet you don't wear a veil. Abraham, buy her a veil. Make her a veil. Use these silver pieces and make her something she can cover her face with. You know, every culture has these kind of notions, whether you're single or not, you know, like in Hawaii with the flower. I don't know what side it goes on, but one side you're single, the other side you're married, okay? Everybody has these kinds of things. And whether the Jews did or not, Abimelech did. And Abimelech said, you can't go running through my country and presenting her as a single woman when she's in fact your wife. And you can tell everybody by the wearing of the veil that she is your wife. The fact that Sarah was Abraham's half-sister is really not relevant to the lie. The lie was Abraham's intent to deceive. And they both did it. And they paid a price for that. I mean, think about it. Uh, Isaac did the same thing with Rebekah. Yo, you're my, you're my sister. And so they won't, they, won't, they won't kill me to get to you. And, and she wasn't even his half-sister. She was his first cousin once removed. I mean, so what happens is this goes right down to the Sermon on the Mount. And it's all about the heart. In other words, deceit in the heart begets lies in the mouth. Essentially, I'm, I'm arguing the same thing that uh, St. Augustine did when he, he said this. God gave human beings speech so that they could make their thoughts known to each other. Therefore, using speech to deceive people is a sin because it's using speech to do the opposite of what God intended. So he taught that lying was, uh, was always wrong, as I do. Uh, but he also acknowledged that it was impossible to live up because he also included these little social things, uh, which I'm trying to tease out uh, right now. And he said it's impossible. It's impossible not to do that. So he said all of those little lies, are they're all forgivable. I mean, straight up, they're just... They're just. Did you know that in the Oxford English Dictionary, it actually separates fibs out, as fibs are cannot in any way be introduced into the judicial system. Uh, only lies can. It's, it's a fascinating. It's a fascinating thing. The sin of lying is encapsulated in the desire to deceive. So that's what we find here in Exodus. Bearing false witness. I mean, this is a court case where the witnesses, they've either been bought off or, you know, they've got a grudge to settle or they're, maybe they're just mean-spirited or maybe even just evil. But when I say, oh, what a, you know, what a pretty baby. Or, you know, your hair looks great. Or that, that, that dress really suits you. Uh, we're just trying to be nice. And oftentimes that's true, right? I mean, it is. those are true statements. But even if they weren't true, we're just being, we're, we're trying not to do harm to the other person. We're not lying, biblically speaking. We have no intent to deceive. We have no intent to gain advantage. We're simply trying to communicate to someone in a compassionate and unharmful way. 
I mean, even uh, I mean, think think about this because this is this is really uh, comp- complex and complicated stuff. You know what we all learn from our mothers or our grandmothers: if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Well, isn't that lying? By withholding the truth, you see what I'm saying? Do you understand that if if once we put anything like that in the category of biblically lying, we, we are heaping guilt and shame on ourselves because it's just not true. In all my messages, I, I attempt to show how we do that, just like the Pharisees did. They, they put these things on themselves that they make the burden of... of Jesus heavier than it actually is. Jesus himself said, my burden is light. My burden is light. He bore our sins. We do not need to make sin into that which is not sin. When we do sin, we must confess and repent. But my goodness, when it's a matter of convention like pie, I mean, there's nothing sinister or devious about, about that. So Ephesians 4.15 tells us what we should do. We are to speak the truth in love. God does not, hear me on this very clearly, God does not want us to tell people, you know, yeah, none of that about their about their height and weight and dress and the gift that they gave you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you know, and, and don't ever make the mistake of the gift that they give you. You end up giving it back to them a year later because they'll remember. You'll forget where you got it, but they'll remember who, who gave it. And, or the lousy solo that they just sang or, or whatever. No, that's not the truth in love and not at all. We speak the truth in love. We speak the truth, but it has to be balanced always by love. It's, it's not lying to season your speech. It's not lying to choose your words. It is courtesy. It's common courtesy. Okay? It's not lying to withhold information from someone who has not earned your trust, i.e., I'm fine. Let me leave this with you as we close. It's from Howard Hendricks uh, to me, actually to our class, of course, and from me to you. Before you speak the truth in love, you should ask yourself three questions. First, is it true? I mean, that's fundamental. Is what I'm about to say true? Well, you know what? It may be true, but is it necessary? Is it that, who is it at that moment in time that makes you the arbiter of that which should be told to this person or not? This is, this is very, uh, I want to use a word like heavy uh, stuff. But this is where it comes in like with when the elders are exercising discipline and things like that. The scripture tells the elders to look to yourself 
right? And you gotta, you gotta, you gotta make sure that that you're right in this. Is it, is this thing necessary? Is it true? Is it necessary? And then finally, is it kind? You can deliver information in different ways, and unless you can answer yes to all three of those, don't say anything. I mean, that's my opinion. Don't say anything at all. It needs to be kind. It needs to be necessary. It needs to be true. And one last thing. It's okay to say no. Period. Full stop. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe you do this yourself. Uh, hey, would you like to go out to you know dinner? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I. Um, I need to, I need to, yeah, my mom's coming over. That's what it is. Or it, just say no. You know, sorry, I can't make it. And then leave it at that. It's when we begin to scout around to make an excuse. Whoever's asking you, unless you have something prearranged where you've already made a commitment, you don't owe them anything. You don't owe them an excuse. You don't owe them a reason. Just say, thank you for the invitation. I can't make it. Boom. End of the story. If they respect you, that'll be the end of that discussion. It is okay to say no. And by saying no, I mean the scripture, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no you know, and they say anything else that comes of, you know, anything more than that, you know, you get into a trouble area. You don't owe explanations to other people. So, in some summation here, when we sin, and we do sin, let us confess our sin to God. Let us ask His forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And, and when we think of that, we're thinking of his sacrificial death on the cross for us, his glorious resurrection. Let us live free from the sin of lying. Let us seek to be truthful and loving to others in all that we say and also in all that we do. There should be a, a congruence there. It should be it should be together. Then we'll be living in obedience to the ninth commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And I hope that if you've ever felt a twinge of guilt or shame because I, you said I'm fine when I'm not, I hope you can let that go. I hope you can let that go biblically. Not because I said it, but because I believe that's what the Bible teaches. There's a difference. It's more of a paucity in our language, in our teaching, than it is the realities of the definitions of what lying is. Father, we are deeply grateful and thankful that we can come before you, the God of truth, true truth, and we have in your word all that which is true. And 
you have given to us everything that we need, everything that we need to live godly lives while we journey through this time here on earth, looking forward to the time that we will be with you. We thank you, we praise you through Christ our Lord. Amen.